Roll tight, everybody, and welcome to Bama Talk. I'm Steve Sample, and this is Bama Talk episode number 38, and it's especially great to be from Alabama these days because the process is playing out, so people are talking about the tide and hoping the ride we're on runs out before they get blown out again. The haters are all hot and bothered about our head coach, but it's just another day in pigskin paradise for tide people because we've heard it all before. Alabama's not only been blessed with some great head coaches over the last hundred years, but we've had the best there ever was. We've got the best there is now. And the way you can tell is because Coach Saban's catching hell. Some Florida assistant coach was carrying on at a Gator gathering recently and compared Florida head coach Will Muschamp to Coach Saban and then compared Saban to the devil. Now, we neither recall the coach's name, nor do we reckon it's worth mentioning, but he was quoted as saying, I always wanted to work with Will. Will's got a plan. Will coached under the devil himself for seven years. I only did three. He did seven. And his DNA isn't any different than Nick's. Then the guy follows that with, and I'm paraphrasing now, that Muschamp has a personality. He smiles. He'll talk to you. He's all warm fuzzies. Well, I don't know anything about the guy making these comments, and I'm sure it went over well with the web-footed fans it was meant for, but you got to wonder why anybody tries to sound like somebody by bashing the somebody that's been beating you on a regular basis. Now, we understand that Florida fans think college football began in 1990 when Steve Spurrier became their head coach and invented the forward pass. You know, kind of like Justin Bieber just invented music. And it's probably a sore spot that the Tide leads the all-time series with the Swamp Dwellers 23-14 and that due at least in part to their own reptile dysfunction. We've beaten them the last three times. We've played them by a combined score of 101-29 to or an average score of 33 So all that may have something to do with all this, but that's fine because going by what I've read, Saban's really gotten in this guy's head. Then there are the pencil necks pontificating about how much money Saban makes as if it's any other business. And then they blow up their own argument by ignoring the fiscal facts that fly in the face of their maladjusted agendas and unsolicited opinions. The athletics department at the university operates in the black every year and is completely self-supporting. Compared to the compensation of some corporate CEOs, Coach Saban's underpaid. With all the expenditures, including salaries, that our athletic department covered last year for every sport, including all the non-revenue-producing ones, the fiscal year ended with a surplus of around $21 million. So Saban's not only not the devil, he's the best coach in college football, and for Bama, the bottom line is, he's a bargain. But there are those, including me, who aren't threatened by others' success. They celebrate it, and they reward it, which is why the powers that be just inducted Coach Saban into the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame, and we congratulate him for it. Most inductees are entered into this august body after they retire, but those that control the process saw no need to procrastinate, so they did the right thing at the right time. So, counting the national championship he collected at another school, he's won four BCS titles in just the last eight years, which is phenomenal. And as a five-time National Coach of the Year, he goes into this season with a chance to do what no one else has ever done at this level, which is win three in a row and four out of five. Even if he quit coaching today, we could say he'd already won his way into that small cluster of coaches that are in a class by themselves. But it's all the more amazing that even though he's already mentioned along with 
with names like Frank Leahy, John McKay, Tom Osborne, and Coach Bryant, he's not even talking about retiring. He ain't going anywhere. But he has gone 61-7 and the last five years, which includes a 35-5 and record in regular season conference play, and he's a tireless, relentless recruiter. With as much success as Bama's had over the last 120 years, it's hard to do anything the Tide's never done before, but he did it because he just led us to five consecutive 10-win seasons for the first time in school history. And he's 8-1 and one all-time in conference or national championship games. Good grief, the man's a machine. And the good news is he's our machine. And what's even better news is he's not through. But the best news is that we've got a guest today who was already at Bama when Coach Saban got there, and he had an up-close look at what it took to turn the tide and put us on the ride we've been on for these last few years. He was a four-year starter at UMS Wright in Mobile, where he played on teams that won two state titles, and he was named Class 4A Lineman of the Year as a senior in 2005. He was rated a four-star recruit by Rivals.com and was considered to be the number one tight end prospect in the state. He played in the Alabama North-South All-Star Game in Mobile, and he was also a member of the track team at UMS Wright that won state titles in 2004 and 2005. The championships didn't end for him in high school, though, because he was a part of the team that put Bama back on the front page of the National News in Pasadena when they made short work of the Longhorns and left the West Coast with that Waterford Crystal. Preston Dial, number 85. How's it going, man? It's going great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, man, been looking forward to it, and uh, we're going to have a good time. You know, Preston, uh, you had a great high school career in Mobile, which is, of course, a recruiting hotbed. Bama had three or four average years before then, and other teams were signing players out of their right and left. What was the recruiting experience like for you, and what led you to sign with Coach Coach Shula's staff? You know, um, you're, you're exactly right. You know, a lot of guys were um, choosing to go out of state, um, LSU, um, Florida State, and you know, several other schools, as well as Auburn. Uh, you know, I just really, you know, Alabama kind of came on a little later on. I've been talking to Florida State a lot, LSU a lot, and those schools. And I think that may have been part of why they were having success. They were kind of jumping on the Mobile guys earlier. You know, personally, um, I just sat down and really confided in my high school coach. who was an Auburn grad. And then, you know, when I wanted to go ahead and commit early, it was not to Alabama. I was actually looking to potentially go to Florida State or LSU. And, you know, he told me to just take my time to slow down. And if there's a reason signing day was, um, was in February and not August. So yeah. you know, I really sat down, prayed about it, confided in my parents. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, Alabama's where I wanted to be. And um, with the recruiting guys that I had experienced, um, that I've visited with so far at Alabama, I, I legitimately thought we had a good shot to, uh, to make a run at it. You know, um, it ended up being uh, working out just as I hoped, but uh, you know it was a gamble, and you know that's what recruiting is. Well, it sure is. So, so are you saying that you were kind of an Alabama fan as a kid growing up? I did, I did. You know, um, none of my parents went to Alabama. My mom actually grew up a Florida State fan, but um, my dad grew up in um, Central Alabama and then moved down to uh, Mobile when he was young. And um, you know, his father was an Alabama fan, and my father was an Alabama fan. So I was, I was surrounded by. The Crimson Tide from when I was young, to say the least. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I've talked to a lot of guys, and it seems like when it comes time to pick up that pen and start signing paper, all of a sudden that Crimson and White looks pretty good, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, it was. Uh, it really wasn't. Um, I tried to keep it. Um, I tried to keep emotion out of the decision as much as possible. But, uh, you know, it's an emotional decision. You're talking about four or five years 
um, for the rest of your life, I mean, four or five years of your life, as well as, you know, determining um, some you know, monumental, uh, pivotal points in your life and where you'll be for those and, you know, the potential to uh, take success. And, you know, if if you make a bad decision, you got to live with it. See, that's a lot of stress for an 18-year-old kid, so I think it is important for coaches and parents to stay involved. It was definitely helpful for me. Oh, that's a good word, man. You know, you redshirted your true freshman year. It gave you a year to kind of develop, and it also meant – you got your first on-the-field action under Coach Saban, who came in in your second year on campus. Looking back, was redshirting a benefit for you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Redshirt was the greatest thing uh, that ever happened to me. Uh, redshirt is the, the only reason, I believe, that I had the opportunity to, to play in the Senior Bowl. Um, redshirt is the only reason, I believe, I had an opportunity to play with the Lions. I think that redshirting is, um, is so important. You know, a lot of kids and um, I guess uh, I was just so uh, I knew I knew I wasn't ready, so I didn't I didn't buck the system too bad. I didn't fight it too hard, but you know a lot of kids do, and um, that's a bad mistake. You know I really I urge all kids to uh, to redshirt. You know one one that um, came in and when I was um, you know getting towards the the uh, peak of my career was a guy named Chance Warmack, and I remember sitting down with Chance and going over film, and um, I remember telling Chance you know, how much we had to learn, you know, and that these were baby steps, don't try to give it all at one time. And I remember Chance telling me, oh, you know, I understand, you know, I want to get this playbook down, uh, I want to be ready, you know, if I'm not ready, I'm okay red shirt, and, and I kind of did a double take, because you don't hear many, you know, for him, 17-year-old kids, 18-year-old kids, say that so you know that just goes to show you some guys are more mature about it than others well i guess it's kind of a reality check though when you get out there and fall that first fall camp fall practice and all of a sudden you're running around with 84 other elite athletes uh uh that are uh it's a step up from high school competition isn't it oh yeah you know i've got i'm watching travis mccall who um one of the strongest blockers i've ever seen in my life to this day um you know in front of me i'm watching DJ Hall and Keith Brown outside of me, and I'm looking across the line, and you know, there's Wallace Gilberry and Juwan Simpson, and um, you know, a lot of guys that were pretty impress- impressive, you know. So, uh, you know, it was, you know, it, it, once you get in there and you start, uh, you know, kind of stumbling around at first, it takes it takes a little while for the game speed to um, for you to catch up with the game speed, and you know, I think, um, you know, I guess selfishly part of me, I really thought that you know. I could have played as a freshman and maybe could have contributed, but nothing like I did as a redshirt senior. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was something that, you know, you just, you, you got to try to imagine the hindsight because it was, it was definitely, definitely one of the biggest things, one of the biggest, um, you know, game changers in my career. And I urge everyone to do it. Hey, you know, that's, that's such a great word. Uh, it's, it's wisdom. Uh, the the first game in 2006, and of course you're a true freshman. Your redshirting was against Hawaii, the year we had added the new North End Zone Upper Deck and the Walker Champions. It was the first time the team would get off the bus there and make its way through the plaza. Uh, I and a couple of buddies of mine wanted to meet the team that day, so we got up there about two and a half hours before kickoff. And we've been going to games for years, so we knew there'd be a big crowd. Uh, but when we walked up, there had to have been twenty five or thirty thousand people easily packed in that a plaza so tight we had to stand across the street in the yard uh in front of the police station because you couldn't squeeze into it you were part of that first alabama team to experience those walk of champions that year in the new plaza and that had to be some kind of thrill do you just happen to remember any of that (laughs) absolutely i do i remember um you know you can't that's one of those things it's kind of like um 
kind of like the first the, your first game you're going to play. Uh, that you just can't prepare for it, you know. Um, practice scrimmages, none of it prepares you for um, for that game time and stressful element of the game. You know, and that's uh, where I think maturity comes in, like you said, wisdom. But yeah, I remember coming, taking a um, taking a left out of um, out of the Gapstone Hotel and um, seeing the amount of people on the way towards the stadium, and you know, I started getting nervous. My palms are sweating. You know, <laughs> your mouth starts to dry up, and then. I remember seeing that uh, that stadium, and it, you know, it really did feel like I, I mean, I felt like a like a warrior showing up to the Coliseum, you know, and like the in the in the, in the great times, it was it was unbelievable. And um, getting out of that bus was uh, probably the um, most excited, most scared I've ever been in my life. And I knew I wasn't going to play. You know? <laughs> Coach had already sat me down and you know let me know that you know they were going to use me on you know uh, only a need basis and sure. you know, so but it's, uh, it was it was unreal you know it was just the, the amount of support you feel and the uh, and it definitely ramps up the pressure a little bit but it, it makes Alabama Alabama you know, that's what uh, separates us from a lot of um, elite programs in the country oh that was you know that was such an incredible day there were there were people from the old union building all the way that across there to that next fraternity house. Uh, so, you yeah. know, if, if it's never been that crowded since then again, uh, that first time was just unbelievable. You know, you played in 10 games in 2000, your red shirt freshman year, and you started the game against Vandy that year. What was, what was it like running out there on the field for Alabama in a situation like that? You're a red shirt freshman, uh, tens of thousands of people and, and it's Vandy, but it's an sec game and it counts. Oh, absolutely! You know, there's no um, there's there's no um, mulligans in the in SEC play. <laughs> there you go. And um, yeah, it was a, it was kind of funny because it was one of those games where I'm kind of glad the first start came at Bandy because there's probably half as many or a little less than half as many people at those games. So it was a little easier to focus on the on the uh, on the task at hand, I believe, and kind of uh, you know get those uh, those first time jitters out of the way. But uh, yeah, that was unreal. I've got to thank. We've got to thank Javier Arenas for that start, first start. You know, he ran a ran a punt down to about the three yard line, so we ran out there. And my first play was a uh, first play was a touchdown. Uh, we you know, we ran a touchdown right over tackle, and it was <laughs> it was pretty wild. So you know, whatever Javier is, I got to thank him for that. <laughs> you know, Javi was so good at returning punts and 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 being in the open field. I always wondered what it might be like if we just had a couple of three screen passes we could have thrown him on offense and, and let him get out there and let somebody try to tackle him in the open field. I, I, that would have been fun. You know, for the first time in several years in 2007, we put a real whooping on Tennessee at Bryant-Denny that year. It was one of those Norman Rockwell days we scored Early, the crowd went crazy. Then we executed an onside kick almost perfectly. In fact, it was right in front of their bench. We recovered it, and you knew it was on. We won 41-17. to You just knew, sitting in the stands that day, the team had turned a corner. What do you remember most about that game? Well, you know, when you say that, I remember uh, the mental preparedness that we had. I remember, you know, Coach coming in and saying, you know, um, guys, if we score first, um, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna do the onside kick, and um, yeah. So we kind of had an idea the onside kick was um, was coming, and uh, we had an idea at some point or another he was gonna do it. We didn't know if it was gonna be to start the game off, if it was truly gonna be right when we scored or what. But you know, cause we knew we were coming out and we were gonna have to come out swinging because Coach Saban and those guys were were prepared to do whatever we had to do to win. And it was, uh, it was, you know, you, say, you talk about turning the corner. I think. 
Um, you know, physically, um, I think, you know, the difference in talent between your 16 and my senior year, the 10 team and every team I played on, um, you know, as a player here, a player here, you know, just, um, usually, um, a little bit of smarts and leadership, but, uh, the, the, the change in mentality was unbelievable. You know, you could start to see it coming that, you know, people wanted to win and it, it was, it meant a lot, a lot to a lot of people. And, and you know, that was comforting for me because, you know, Football is more than a sport for me. It's, you know, it's a way of life. And it was great to see a bunch of guys start grabbing hands and saying, we're going to do whatever it takes to win. You know, and that was basically the mentality from then on is, you know, we had a, we had a lot of, a lot of growth still to, uh, still to experience. We had a, a lot of, um, trial and errors in front of us, but we knew that, you know, we were going to do whatever it took. You're absolutely right. And I, re- I recall that feeling that year. And, and I tell you what, and it's not much fun to talk about, and we won't spend much time on it. But the the Lot Monroe game that year, we lost twenty one to fourteen. You had your actually your your first career reception in that game, if I'm not mistaken. But you, you know, we uh, that was a that was a low point. But you know, even it is as awful as it seemed at the time, and it still does. You could tell that the loss of that game hurt enough that it was going to be a while before we did much more losing and and that that turned out to be the case uh, well what, what, you know, one thing i got to harp on that too the one thing i have to harp on that louisiana monroe and i'll always you know i said to to uh large crowds when i speak to them and you know i spoke to my dad i remember uh you know right after the next championship was you know that louisiana monroe like i said we were willing to do whatever it took to win but that i hate to sound like coach david here but that louisiana monroe game proved how important execution is. You know, you can um, you can go 120 miles an hour, but if you're not going in the right direction, you know, it's, it's no good. And um, you know, we there was probably if, if I could pick five plays out of the game, you yeah. know, a couple blocks here and there, a couple missed assignments in the, in the coverages. If we could take them back, it's a it's a completely different ball game. But it's uh, it just proved how important execution was. Yeah, the, the old adage of there's five or six games in every play that decide the way it goes. I remember a tipped ball for an interception that day that was just a, yeah. you know, kind of a freak play, and they happened. To, their guy was lucky enough to be in the right place that the ball was tipped to. But, but you know, the yeah. next year, and I remember this so clearly when you guys came out in that first game in 2008 against Clemson at the Dome in Atlanta, the whole world saw Bama was back. Uh, you guys about ran them out of the place that night, and they had guys that are still playing on Sunday too. Uh, so that wasn't a cheap win. I mean, that was just a old fashioned take them out to the woodshed. The result, Absolutely. the results of what you guys were doing in preparation and in the off season were real clear that night. What, what was the feeling? like going into that game i know you guys watch film and you prepare did you have any idea that you were going to physically beat clemson that way you know it started in february you know with the uh, fourth quarter program that that um that preseason late fourth quarter program was absolutely brutal i mean to this day was the one of the toughest things i'd ever experienced and then after um you know after that program we went into the summer we went in there focused um we had a group of leaders that were willing to um willing to to not be the popular guy but to do what was right. And I remember, you know, the Clemson game, we thought we were ready, but you know, you never know until you face somebody that's not not your buddy, not your roommate, not wearing the same color helmet as you. And um it was uh, it was only winning at halftime and we were winning the looks in everybody's eyes, like my roommate Mike Johnson and Rashad Johnson and and our Antoine Caldwell and a lot of those guys and you know, they weren't gonna they weren't gonna you know, be defeated. You know, we went in there and everybody's, you know, mentality was, 
Yeah, we're only halfway there. You know, this is the important quarter. We got to finish this game. We got to finish. We got to finish. We got to finish. And that's when the the finishing, um, you know, the um, that you know, the old adage of you know, finish and start fast, play hard, finish strong, really started to come. We started to understand it. And you know, after that game, we all looked around. And we're like, man, this actually works. You know, if you do what yeah. uh, Coach Saban and these guys say, it actually is very successful. And I tell you what, Mike Johnson's still playing in Atlanta. Isn't that cool? Uh, the, you know, oh yeah, it's unbelievable. You know, he, he, you know, he scored a scored a touchdown this year, and we gave him a hard time. I've never seen him catch a football in his life. The first one I've seen him catch, he's catching against the Saints for a touchdown. So that's uh, that was a that was a special moment for uh, for Mike and all of uh, all of his teammates. Oh man, great guy, and got paid for it too. Roll Tide. Okay, <laughs> you know, he, in two thousand eight Iron Bowl, thirty six to nothing, and it really wasn't that close. What was the best part? I mean, that was just, just an old-fashioned mud hole stomping that day. What was the best Absolutely. part about that day for you? Because, I mean, that was that was a party in the stands, I'm telling you. Uh, I think the best part for me, selfishly, as an offensive player, was the fact that um, we were able to control the tempo of the game and to literally, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust. You know, we said, you know, we're going to establish the run and we're going to knock him out with the run. You know, we always had faith in our defense. You know, our defense is, um, you know, had their mistakes, but were consistently good, you know, and um, for um, both sides of the ball to show up and play uh, um, uh, four quarters of football, 60 minutes, uh, as hard as they could, and to execute as well as we could. I guess your worst enemies who, you know, it always makes it a little tougher to execute when it's personal, but, uh, you know, to go out there and to be able to do that the way we did was uh, was very special, and it was exciting for us, obviously. Yeah, there was a nice little streak we uh, put an end to that day, and uh, Coach Strubberville showed up at the stadium in the south end zone there. He got off the bus waving his little seven fingers, and, uh, of course, now he's at Cincinnati. I guess his career's really taken off. Uh, 2009 yeah. was <laughs> was mighty fine, too. What you know? they say, my, my, dad, my dad's old adage is uh, – be careful! Uh, be careful how you treat people on your way up, because you might see them on your way down. Uh, I think your dad's a pretty smart man. Um, you know, <laughs> you know, another uh, a big win in two thousand nine, Virginia Tech. Uh, then blocking two field goals to go with the win against Tennessee. Mark Ingram and the Wildcat against Southern California. Julio takes one. 73 yards and Brian Denny against LSU, and then that fourth yeah. quarter drive against Auburn down there. To come from behind, we win 26-21 when G-Mac hit Roy uh, for six right there at the end of the game. And, I mean, I was I was in the corner of that end zone. I heard the ball hit his hands. I mean, I was standing so close to Roy when he caught that ball. That was about as sweet yeah, as a yeah. moment as I can remember. As far as the regular season games that year, and what an incredible year, which one stands out to you? You know, we could go through and you could, um, especially spitting out, uh, you know, specific plays like he did makes me smile and think of a bunch of them, but uh, South Carolina was definitely probably uh, one of the bigger ones for me uh, for the sole fact of you know, we were we were we were not um, we went out with plan A offensively. We had uh-huh. we had a plan. Um, defensively, we came out great and they and they played an amazing game. But offensively, we were facing a great defense and um, we went out with plan to kind of throw it around a little bit and do this that and the other. And uh, we just could not you know, you know we just couldn't pick the way we wanted to hundred percent. And um, the fact that we were able to, um, to to bring out this wildcat and, and, and to, to shove it down their throat uh, in a different type of way, you know, it was more of a um, some countering. And you know, a lot of people think it was a misdirection, but if you go look back, um, it's it's when you got Barrett Jones pulling one way and you know, and and it's in Mike and pull on the other. It's uh, it's kind of hard not not to call it smash football. We were 
we were making one cut and going, and um, Mark really showed up. You know, and uh, and Greg was so unselfish to you know to to give to to take the ball out of his hands in the key situations and still support the team the way he did. It was just a great great game for everyone, and it was such a team win. And um, you know, them being ranked um, wherever they were, and we were both ranked high. It was the first time that we kind of had to answer the bell. And uh, and we did, so that was also exciting, obviously. Well, you know, uh, yeah, like you're talking about, one of the great things about that game was there late in the second half. All of a sudden, we just all of a sudden they put uh, Mark Ingram back there in the Wildcat and snapped the ball to him, and it's like, okay, here it comes. You know, pretty much what we're going to do. Mark's not going to throw the ball deep. We're going to run the ball, and we're going to win the game. And we did it, ran it right down their throat. They knew what was coming. They couldn't stop it. And at that point, you start thinking. You know, if we can do this against these people, we got a shot for the whole whole deal this year. And sure enough, we did. Uh, the SEC championship game against Florida that year was about as good a, an atmosphere as I'd ever seen up to that point. I mean, they were riding high with a Heisman winner at quarterback, a quarterback that darn near came to Alabama, by the way. And you guys beat him yeah. so bad it put your coach in the hospital. Naturally, now we're glad he seems to have recovered. But at the time, we Absolutely. didn't really mind being the cause of his headache. What what sticks out about that that week of preparation must have been really something else because that game went about as well as you could have possibly hoped for it to. Oh yeah, it was um you know it was as close to a um, perfect game of football as you know I've ever been a part of. Um, it was the fastest week of practice I've ever been a part of as well. Um, it was um, from Monday on it was fast. You know we all had. Um, we all had a bad taste in our mouth from the year before, mm-hmm. you know, being undefeated and having our dreams kind of ripped out of our hands, you know, and they played a good game to beat us that year. And uh, we knew they were going to play a good game the next year. So uh, we knew it was on us to uh, come out. And that was that was the best week of practice I've ever seen. You know, it was, we, we practiced so fast. And so, you know, when you did get in the game, it wasn't turning up the heat. It was just doing exactly what you did on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Yeah. So, you know, it was um, – it was unbelievable. It, was, it really was. I was so proud of our team, and it was so funny to watch these plays. Once we get in the game, they usually look a little faster, but you know they actually look slower because we had practiced so fast. You know, Julio and Mays and these guys in their routes. You know, Allen and um, Deke and myself and the offensive line and our communication and our um, you know our first couple steps just exploding off the ball. It was, and we we just you know all you had to do was just carry it over to the to Saturday. We had literally practiced so fast, and, and uh, you know such on perfection that it, uh, it truly paid off. Well, you could tell early in the game that Florida uh, had their hands full that day. Uh, and, and we're talking about a team full of uh, great athletes that we beat that night. I mean, you guys did a heck of a job. And, you know, speaking of great athletes, nobody's ever really thought of Greg McElroy as an elite athlete. But that tiptoe down the sideline was one of the great plays I've ever seen. And then he has this great block against Michigan State the next year. Uh, downfield on one of their secondary people and just about kill somebody. What was it like playing with a Rhodes Scholarship candidate running the huddle? You know, he um, he it was it was an interesting uh, deal because you know Greg came in and um, you know we had John Parker and then Greg comes in and he's a little different leader. You know, yeah. everybody's got their own way of leadership. You know, he um, he was very much a friend of my own team. He very he related with everybody, but. You know, when it came down to it, you know, he wasn't scared to, uh, to get command in the huddle. You know, he was a team player. You know, we um, we didn't throw the ball 40 times a game um, ever, I don't think. But, you know, but um, he was there. And he knew when his number was called, but um, you know, he answered the bell. Um, 
uh, a, a large percentage of the time. You know, he he played a great game. He played some great games and uh, gets some very tough competition. And you know, we all respected him um, about as much as you could. You know, you guys. Uh... He helped lead you guys, the team, to Pasadena at the end of 2009. The team went 14-0, and which I believe was the first time Alabama or anybody else had had that record up to that time, included that win over Texas in the Rose Bowl. Now, talk about the trip out there and getting ready and what it felt like to actually play out the words of the fight song on national TV. Remember, the Rose Bowl will win then, and you darn sure did. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was unbelievable. You know, we went out there and um, we had um, we'd gone to New Orleans uh, for the Sugar Bowl the year before, and um, you know, kind of enjoyed the bowl. This time we went out there, and um, myself and um, a lot of the other leaders on the team, you know, we all just, you know we had made that decision before we got out there that you know we have the rest of our lives to go out and enjoy California at one point or another. Uh, this is definitely a business trip, and uh, and that's the way we went about it. And we came out here. And um, there was no staying out late, and there was no no girls in the rooms. You know, what we came out here to do was to win, and we came out here to, to execute and to play our style of football. You know, we did, I and mean, we had another great week to practice. You know, because it was it was easy to come out and practice well when it when we had just done the week before and it yielded great results. So you know, we we just came out here and you know we tried to tried to enjoy the dinners, we tried to enjoy just that and the other. But you know, all we could, all we cared about was getting back and watching a little more film. And hanging out just the guys and talking about what you know what that game was going to be like. So you know it was it was unbelievable. You know when those lights turned on, um, go figure. The game didn't go exactly as we planned. You know we started off a little slow. Defense was able to hold them to some field goals, and you know and we were able to finally pick it up and and, and push push through it. And that was uh, you know it was just you know, things are always going to go your way in, in, in any sport, and especially football. So um, yeah, it was good. It was it was good to watch it play out, pay off, and then it's a, you know when that's you know when the 60th minute ticked off the clock to know that um, there was no film on Sunday, there was no getting up and working out on Monday morning. It was over. You know we had set out and accomplished a goal for that year that um, you know it was, it was like nothing I'd ever been a part of. You know, and it was uh, the ultimate sense of team and um, self satisfaction. So it was, and and to do it for a for a university like Alabama that supports you so well and you know has so such pride in their athletics and their university it was uh it was it was an awesome feeling for sure and um yeah i, I think that that moment probably changed the rest of my life you know i'll talk about that for a long time i've got a couple extra pieces of jewelry now that i'm proud to wear from yes, time to time so there's a, there's a lot of things that are positive that have happened in my life because of it and um you know i'll forever be grateful to the university of alabama uh, Coach Malmore and the, you know our ads and our coaching staff, Coach Saban, those guys. You know my my position coach. It was you know from from Doctor Witt down the line. You know it was just a team effort, and um, you know, it was unbelievable. It was uh, it was also good to, since you know since we've left to to see them be able to reciprocate it because it's um, it's easier to get get to the top. It's it's, it's hard to stay up there. You know lately um, they're um, they're doing the impossible. So you know I couldn't be prouder as an alumni now. Man, that's uh, that's good stuff. You know, you caught a TD pass against Penn State your senior year. Uh, that's definitely scrapbook stuff. What's it like to do that in a game between two traditional powerhouses, two of the biggest names in college football, and run back to the sideline knowing you just made history? Oh, it was unbelievable. You know, you think about you think about goal line stands. You think about all that. Obviously, during the game, it was just uh, 
it was exciting for about three seconds, and then I had to get back and make some blocking adjustments and yeah. get back after it, because that's just the way that Coach Tendry and McElwain and Coach Saban were. But, yeah, when we called timeout, uh, yeah, I believe Will Lowry had um, made an interception, and we had about a 90, 90-yard, 90 you know, about an 85-yard drive at the time. We had a Couple yards left to go, or whatever it was. Yeah, you know, we were we were we were within striking distance, and we called timeout of the quarter. I believe the quarter ran out. It was the start of the second quarter, and you know, Coach Saban asked me, yeah, "Can you get open?" And I was like, "You know, they're playing that single high safety. You know, they're trying to just bump me. You know, the guy can't stay with me. You know, I can get open." Greg was like, "All right, well, here it comes. You know, be ready." And of course, they changed the coverage. You know, the guy was <laughs> the guy went man on me. He was right on my back hip. You know, Greg Greg put the ball right over his right over his head. I was able to go up and get it, and it was uh, it was an exciting moment for me, um, obviously for my family. And it was just it was cool to um, to put some points on the board against um, a legendary team and uh, against a legendary coach. Now, you know, I mean, it was like you said, I've got a lot of respect for Penn State. They're they're a program that's got. Um, a story past, um, like Alabama, you know, there's been a lot of, a lot of ups and downs, but they're always be one of the greatest programs, you know. It's unfortunate what's happened to them lately, but yeah, I was, that was definitely one that I'll never forget, and I've got quite a few pictures up to this day. Hey, you know, you've only been gone a couple of years now, so it's not like tons of time have passed, but when you look back on the time you spent being part of what most of us think is the greatest tradition in college football at Alabama. What means the most to you now? Just the amount of effort and the amount of um, blood, sweat, and tears, the amount of um, sacrifice that my teammates um, did for me and I did for them, you know, to uh, to understand um, how to set a goal and how to accomplish it. You know, that's those are things that you just can't um, – there's no amount of money that can, can um, pay for that or can buy that, you know, to be able to go out – set a goal with a bunch of guys and say, we're going to do whatever it takes to get it. And, um, you know, work for it for years and years, you know, to think about those guys, you know, like John Parker, who wasn't on the team when we won it, but to know how much he had, um, you know, that he had such an impact on us and how much he meant um, to that, you know, that national, first national championship. And yeah. Antoine Caldwell, Rashad Johnson, Glenn Coffey, you know, all those guys that sacrificed and, and didn't, you know, weren't able to be on that team. Um, you know, it's just such an honor. Yes, and, and I felt so um, grateful to those guys. I felt so proud of my my younger teammates for being able to to, uh, to believe in us and and to all push forward with us. You know, it was just uh, to set a goal and to go get it, and to know that um, you know the 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 power that and the and the, the unity that we had in the group. It was just so special. And um, like you said, to go fourteen and out of this. Nobody can ever argue that when I promise you that, you know. Every, we were the greatest team in the country, and, um, you know, I, I'm proud to put another, I know, I was proud to put another digit on the side of that crimson helmet, obviously, as well. There you go, man. It's, it's, that's, that's, that's just cool, cool stuff, man. Listen, we're about out of time, man. It's been great talking to you, and I re- I know you're busy. I know you're out on the West Coast right now, and I appreciate you taking time out of a busy day to, uh, talk to us and all that, and uh, we hope you'll uh, hope we can get you back on again sometime. Absolutely, it was uh, it was a pleasure and an absolute honor. Um, obviously, um, the, uh, the the Clemson is, uh, is, a, is a is a huge part of my life, and um, you know I'll always um, I'll always take the time to uh, to reminisce. So I definitely appreciate it. Yeah, you know what? What I was just thinking. Real, what's real cool too is that 
because of the price you paid and, and what you went through with those guys, you know that when you watch the guys that are still on the team and when they have success and when they run off the field and when we put new trophies in that trophy case and they hand out more rings, you know the price they paid to get them. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, from now on, you know, there's still uh, there's still some guys that uh, I helped foster on the team. Yep. And um, and there's some guys that I learned from that are still on the team. And you have some um, some family friends like AJ that I've grown up around. And to know that whether I know their name or not, the next team that you know wins a national championship, those guys out there, you know, I don't have to know their name. I don't have to know their face. I just know what they've been through, and I know that we share a common bond. And that that is a special thing that. Alabama's given to us. Yeah, that jersey's just one color. Well, man, you take it easy, and we're going to stay in touch, and uh, we'll be talking to you again soon, okay, man? Absolutely. God All bless, right. and thank you for this opportunity. Okay. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. See you now. Man, that's good stuff, and there's more of it going on these days. Bama softball's on its way to the NCAA Super Regional in Knoxville, where they'll play the first game Friday, May 24th, against Tennessee at 6 p.m., Crimson Standard Time. But regardless of what transpires in this tournament, the five seniors on this team have helped take the tide places we've never been before. Jackie Branham, Courtney Conley, Kima Davis, Lauren Sewell, and Caleb Bro all played a big part in bringing a national championship back to T-Town, but they've also been winners in the classroom and in the community, so we want to shout out a sincere thank you to Bama's Fab Five. One of Alabama's most popular basketball players has been promoted from director of operations to a position as an assistant coach. Uh, Antoine Petway replaces Dan Hipsher, who left for a head coaching position elsewhere, and he'll join newly hired strength and conditioning coach Lou Deneen in an effort to rejuvenate the round ball program. Alabama's baseball team won their way into the SEC tournament in Hoover and handed Auburn a loss that sent the Tigers home after the Tide came from behind to win 6-3 on the tournament's opening day. Just like in football, basketball, softball, and gymnastics, Bama leads the all-time series with Auburn 148-123, and the teams have also tangled eight times in SEC tournament play with the Tide on top there, too, with a 5-3 and three record. Mitch Gaspard seems to have the Tide on the rise, and with the improvement this young team's making, there's reason to believe the future looks bright for Bama baseball. And new athletic director Bill Battle has said that facility upgrades for baseball are in the discussion stage, so here's hoping they swing for the fence and hit a home run with renovations and build the best college baseball complex in the country. Uh, hey, don't forget to check out our Bama Talk Facebook page. We're having a lot of fun with it, so if you haven't seen it, check it out and be sure to tell your friends about it. We post lots of pics and write occasional commentary, so if your colors are crimson and white, you'll like what you see. And if you do like what you see, feel free to share it and spread the word. If you have friends you know that might like to listen to the show, let them know they can find us in the podcast section of iTunes or on Stitcher or at BigBrainsMedia.com. The great thing about the podcast format is that you can listen to any of our episodes anytime you like, as much as you like, at no charge, because the downloads and the subscriptions are free. There's also a podcast app available for your smartphone or tablet that lets you listen to the show on the go, you know, like while you're working out or while you're gathering supplies to send to Oklahoma, or maybe while you're writing a check to help with recovery efforts out there. You know, and speaking of Oklahoma, it's just a suggestion on our part, but the Crystal Trophy from one of the BCS championships that was accidentally broken some time back was recently sold at auction. The original 
original value of the piece was $30,000, but it was sold for $105,000 with the funds earmarked for charity. Now, we're absolutely sure the charities the funds were meant to help are absolutely worthy, but we'd like to suggest that this money be donated to the disaster relief efforts in Oklahoma that are going to require many millions of dollars, maybe billions. We'll be doing all we can to support the people there and whatever efforts are being made on their behalf. In the meantime, our thoughts and prayers will be with all those who have suffered from this terrible tragedy. We know what it's like, so let's show them some love. Well, y'all, it's about time to head for the locker room, and by the grace, we've still got one. So we're thankful to have a place to go and a chance to do this show, because it sure is a lot of fun. Thanks again to Preston Dial for taking time to talk to us, and that about wraps it up for today. So for Mark Phillips, James Spann, and everybody behind Bama Talk at Big Brains Media, we hope you enjoyed it because we had a ball, y'all. Till next time, take care, have a blessed day, and roll tide.